0: Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We praise you. We worship you, God. You are worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. Thank you, Father. Lord, how you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what you know about worshiping Him. Just being intimate with Him in this moment. And that's that's what I'm feeling is just just a time to just... No profound words. Just adoration of Him. So just in your own way, whatever you do, if you don't talk or if you do talk, just, just tell Him how much you love Him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We magnify you. Because you first loved us. Because you first loved us. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you for seating us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Thank you for the blessings around us. God, even those things that we don't even... uh, are not even consciously aware of so many times, Father. I just thank you so much that we... you, You are always conscious and aware of us. So God, thank you so much for giving us for forgiving us for walking with us even when we're not perfect even though when we're not holy even when we're not conscious and aware of your presence God your presence is there you never leave us you never forsake us not even to the end of this earth we thank you we praise you God you are so good you are so good you are so good Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You feel that? Do you feel that's that's what peace is all about. Yeah. That's what peace is. You know, it's that that I heard um, Bill Johnson say this: that <clears throat> if you want the peace that surpasses all understanding, you have to first be willing to give up your understanding in order to get that peace. We come into places like this and we try to understand what it is. You know, we try to, we try to fit our worship into his timing. Right. And sometimes that puzzle piece just doesn't fit, but we got to, we got to just be in that moment anyways and allow his peace that passes all of our understanding to be in that moment. That's what this is. May the Lord come upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. That's, that's something, that's something that is rare in this time is to find peace. Know how you just did, know how you just got into that moment because every day you're going to need that. You're going to need that every day. You click on the news. I know we all do it. We don't want to, but we all do it at at certain times to click on the Facebook or something like that. And all of a sudden, wham, Okay, I need to get into that place. I need to get, I need to, my puzzle piece doesn't fit right now. I just need to get into that place of worship. Amen? Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys today. Good to see you guys. Could you give our worship team a hand clap? They work hard for you. Like Bailey said, turn around and tell somebody they're good looking, but tell somebody that, uh, that you're as, you're as good looking as them. Okay? How's everybody this morning? Well, it's good to see you guys. Good to have a a pretty, pretty well packed house this morning. Um, Y'all doing okay? Doing okay through this time, through the season that we're in? Three of you are? That's great. Glad for you three. And uh, man... I just uh, really today getting into this, um, I'm kind of, I don't know, the way that I've been feeling, I'm kind of going old school. And if you weren't here in the beginning of the days that we started, I mean, we're here we are in our 20th year. And many of you sitting in this room wasn't with us when we first started. And um, when we first started, my, my ministry style was a little bit different than what you guys have witnessed over the last five or six years. And uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going back to the old school. And so, um, if you like all the little kitschy, creative stuff, sorry, I don't have no breaker one nine for you today. See, you see, you go, oh, and I'm like, crap, did I miss it? (laughs) But anyways, um, just wanted to kind of go back and God's doing some things and, and, um, I want to, I want to rediscover who we are. Amen. I want to rediscover who this church is, who we started out to be, and uh, why God, why God called us to this area, why God called us to you, why, why God called you to us. And I believe that you're here, not because we're just such a cool church. I, I think we're cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning how to be cool in my older years, trying to, trying to let my kids think I am. I'm trying to trying to let my kids know that I'm as cool as they thought I was. And and so, um, anyways, just uh, I, I just really have the desire to to rediscover who we are. And um, so, what a better way to do it than than 2020? Because how many of you know 2020 is a thing of its own now? Yes. I uh, I brought this up here, my phone up here, because I somebody a friend of mine posted this the other day on Facebook, and it says, 2020 is going to be a synonym for crazy for the rest of our time. <laughs> Yo, my man over there is a little, you know, 2020. <laughs> or, I gained control of my car for a moment, Your Honor, but then things went 2020. <laughs> that's that's going to forever be a, a definition of our life, because... 2020 may go down as the most um, interesting, cool. <laughs> insane, <laughs> bipolar <laughs> year of our lifetime. And, and I, don't, I don't know about you, but for me, this has probably been one of the craziest times. I can't think of a time that I was ever... Um, felt like I was in more crazier times than in, in uh, 2001 whenever 9-11 happened. I mean, that started us into a crazy tailspin of itself, but it kind of, you know, it's kind of like the pilot pulled back on the stick a little bit and got us all leveled out after a few years. And maybe this, that'll happen here, but I don't, I don't know that it will. I just really don't know that it will. And you say, well, thanks for the good news, Pastor. You know, we're all, we're all wondering what's next. We're all wondering when is this going to be over? When is this going to end? Or where do we go from here? I mean, the, the when, what, where, why, and hows are, are happening in our lifetime. Right. And you know, when, when is this, when is this all going to end? You know, where do we go from here? I don't know. And you don't know. We don't know. And as human beings, that's, that's pretty difficult because we like to know where we're going. You know, moving, moving through life in, um, in the rhythm of predictable is effortless, it's easy. You know what I mean? When, when we know what's around the corner, when we know what's coming, when we know that the election is coming up, and we know which way we're going in the election, it's easy to, to walk those things out and look forward, right? But it's when you don't know what's next, it's being thrown out of your life rhythms and not knowing. And that's what being a person of faith is all about. Did you hear me? Are you all here today? See, our faith in God and our faith in his word and our faith in the spirit of God that's on the inside of us brings comfort and peace and insight for us not to be engulfed in the times, but to navigate, learn how to navigate the times that we're in. That's what being a person of faith is about. Being a person of faith, and I said it last week, you know, it's, it's not about, I'm not here just to tell you how to be a good Christian. I'm here to help you navigate your faith. Your faith is not about you being a Christian or, or about you being this label or that label in the Christian church. It is about you knowing how to navigate the lifetime of our faith. The faith of our lifetime. And so I, I want to I get back to some of that. I, wanna, I, I want you guys to know how to navigate the times and to know the times that you live in. So you, if, you, if you have your Bible, you can turn over here. If you, if, if you want to go over here, I'm just going to read one verse to get us kicked off today. So you don't have to go and find this. It's in Second, in, uh, I'm sorry, in First Chronicles chapter twelve. And if you're trying to find that in your Bibles, the First Chronicles is right before Second Chronicles. <laughs> but it's right after Second Kings. It's over in the Old Testament. And uh, <clears throat> here in, in in First Chronicles, um, just give you a little lead-in to what we're talking about here in 1 chronicles chapter 12 in in 10, around 1080 BC Israel was being led Israel <laughs> Israel is being led by judges they don't have a king yet they're they're it's a it's a council of judges that lead the whole nation of Israel and that council of judges the the the, the people of Israel begin to look around at the other kingdoms around them. And they said, well, they all have kings. They're a kingdom. They're not a nation. They're a kingdom. And we want a king. And God said, all right, pick you a king. You're not going to like it, but you pick you a king. So they picked a guy named Saul. And in the beginning, Saul, the first king of the nation of Israel, was a good dude. He was a... He was a, a, a guy, he was a godly man. He was following after the things of God. He was walking in the ways of God for about 20 25 years. He's walking in the ways of God. But after 20 or 25 years, the, the, the power started going to his head a little bit. Anybody ever been there? anybody ever known anybody like that? Yeah, we all have. We've all had that boss. Anyways, the, the power starts going to Saul's head, and, and he goes off the rails. He even begins to, get, begins to get a little bit manic, depressive. He begins to get a little bit bipolar. I think that if, if a um, psychiatrist were to read this story, that he would say that, that Saul went a little bit bipolar and didn't have the right meds. I got one little fly up here that's just begging to be with me. He loves me. I took a shower this morning. <laughs> so anyways, Saul goes off the rails and, and he's, he's doing his thing. And it's not a good thing for the nation of Israel. And so God says, all right, y'all picked your king. This is what he did. So I'm going to pick my king. And he tells Samuel the prophet, he says, go to, the, go to the man named Jesse over there. And I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king. The son that I pick him to be king. And if you know the story, you know that that Samuel went and and anointed David as king over Israel, but David was only 17 years old and he was a shepherd. He wasn't ready to step into that spot yet. So for the next 13 years, he was the king in waiting. Nobody else really knew that a whole lot. It wasn't pronounced on the uh, Israel times that David was going to be this, but David is is in waiting for 13 years. All the while, Saul is just going crazier and crazier through that time. Even trying to kill David because he had an inkling that David was going to be the next king because the people loved him so much. But the times in the kingdom, the monarchy began to grow more unstable under Saul's leadership until one day there was a battle, that continual battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And Saul was out on the battlefield and took an arrow. Um, an arrow hit him, and he's mortally wounded. And he's on the battlefield bleeding, bleeding out. And he tells his armor bearer, he says, I want you to, want you to run a sword through me, because I don't want to be, I don't be uh, taken captive by the Philistines because they'll torture me. And he says, I want you to kill me. And, they, and the armor bearer said, I ain't going to kill you. So Saul took his own sword out of his sheath and he fell on his own sword and killed himself. And it was up to this point, this is, this is the point at which David was launched into his kingship over Israel. And here in, in First Chronicles chapter 12, David has been announced that he's the new king. He's in a town called Hebron. In Israel, <clears throat> he's been anointed. He's been released as a king, and now the twelve tribes of Israel—all the, all the different tribes, the different sections of Israel—the the warriors, the, the soldiers—are coming out, and they're coming to David, and pronouncing their loyalty to him and his kingdom. And you have all these these, um, these tribes coming, and they're and they're. Um, pronouncing their loyalty. And this is, this is what it says in First Chronicles chapter 12, in verse 32, this one particular tribe, it says, the sons of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at, were at their command. Now that's a, that is an interesting scripture because this one tribe comes out and they're the only ones, if you read the text, the whole text there, they're the only ones that, that are put into this position. That they understand, that they're the only ones that understand the times and know what Israel ought to do according to the times that they're in. And it says that 200 of them were put into that position. When you look at the text and go through all the other 11 tribes, there are thousands of the other tribes that come. 8,000 of this tribe, 20,000 of this tribe, 40,000 of this, this tribe, but the sons of Issachar is 200. All the other tribes are prepared for war, have articles of war, have um, knowledge of being a warrior, but Issachar says nothing about war, it just says that they understand the times and they know what Israel ought to do. So that's, that's where I want to jump off today because I believe with all my heart that we, in this church, are like the sons of Issachar. I'm not saying that we're not warriors, I'm saying that even within the midst of the war, we understand the times and we know what we ought to do. That is our calling, that is our position. We may not be a big mega church, but we're the people that understand the times and lead the nation. Let me pray over you guys and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, oh God, thank you so much for the moments that we have, the moments that we get to be together and dig into your word. Father, I just thank you so much for Those that have come out today and said in this congregation, but Father, I thank you for the many that are sitting at home today, that I pray that this message would translate to them, that as they sit in their homes, as they are in their place of work or wherever they're watching from, Father, that your spirit would begin to minister to them, that they are like these sons of Issachar, that we are called to understand the times and know what we ought to do in the midst of these times. I thank you, Father, for the anointing of your word that goes out. I thank you, God, for the empowerment of your word that goes out, the empowerment of your spirit in this room and through these airwaves. I thank you so much for what you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. About 15 years ago, <clears throat> there was a guy that came to our church. Of course, we hadn't been going for very long, and... Um, I didn't know come here from Sikkim about being a pastor. I still don't. I'm still working on that. I'm still learning and growing in that. But this man that come to our church, he was a, a former local pastor in Fort Collins and he'd shut down his church. <clears throat> and some him and some of his people had started coming to our church. And sometimes when another pastor that's been in a lot longer than you has come comes to your church you kind of go you know you know got to kind of put up the wall and make sure he's not coming in to take over things and and things like that but <clears throat> he wasn't he what he come into our church I felt like it, that he had a pure heart I believe with all my heart that he had a pure heart and we began to have a good relationship and <clears throat> um he, he was a man of knowledge. He, he had a lot of, a lot of knowledge and he, he began to open up the the door for a lot of things for, for me and Lynette and, and our growth going forward. And he had written a book, um, about the American economic system, um, basically the debt bubble, uh, collapsing, breaking down that he was looking into the future and seeing this stuff happen. The, he, he, in his book, he talked about political downturn. He talked about the New World Order, all that far out there stuff. Man, it was crazy, the stuff that he, that he wrote about and talked about. But out of all of that stuff that he um, opened my eyes to, the one great thing that he opened my eyes to at that moment that has carried on for years is that he opened my eyes to the richness of the Old Testament. I was a New Testament guy. I love my New Testament. That's basically mostly what I preached out of It's just the New Testament. But when he came in and opened my eyes to the Old Testament, there were scriptures like this one that began to blossom, that began to explode in my life. And it, and it carried me into the next piece of who I am. And so he was the first one that I ever heard share this verse. And when he shared this verse, it struck a chord on the inside of me because I felt like this verse would be the key or be a key to this church and the future of this church. In 2005, when all these things began to happen, here we are, 2020, crazy 2020. All these things, you you remember 2019 coming into 2020? that all these pastors and all these preachers, I even myself, felt like 2020, perfect vision. We're going to have perfect vision going into the year. Yeah, that's not a vision that I want. I could have never envisioned this. But here we are in this time, and this scripture has begun to blossom in my life. And I hope it's blossoming in your life because um, the times are crazy. And it's, it's, this is key to our identity. I say our identity. I, I believe especially in 3C, Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. It is, it is key to the, to the um, identity of who we are. So it said there in that scripture, it says, the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Having understanding of the times. That word times, Lynette preached at the beginning of the year or coming into the beginning of the year about Kronos time and Kairos time. You remember that? Kronos and Kairos are the Greek words for time. Measured time is Kronos, and, and divine appointment time is Kairos. But here in the Hebrew, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, not in Greek. The word time there, or times, goes along with the kairos time. It's a, it, the definition is it's a particular time. It's a particular season. It's an age. And especially, it means current times. And it says that the sons of Iskar had understanding of those times. Had understanding, and they knew the times. So I looked up the words understanding and know in the Hebrew, two different Hebrew words, but they come back to the same base word, the same base or the same root word. And the definition for that root word is to discern. They had understanding, they knew how to discern the times and to discern what to do in those times. The word discern is a big word But listen to this, this this is gonna be key to what I'm saying today is the word discern means to distinguish something barely perceptible. Distinguish something barely perceptible by sight or other senses. Are you with me? Do I need to say it again? To discern means to distinguish something barely perceptible by sight or other senses. So here's what happens when we get into to times like we're living in, these current times. This is, this is what happens. The craziness of this world, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 stuff, um, election stuff, political stuff. Um, what else is crazy? I mean, all of these crazy things, one right after the other, the riots, the, the race issues, all of those things they, they just all of a sudden start avalanching toward us. And they're just these huge, big moments. And what happens to us a lot of times is these big moments of current times, we try to understand and know by the obvious. It's those obvious things. It's the, it's the, it's the big explosions that we grasp onto and we go, Yeah, I know we're in the end times now because this big thing is happening. But see, to discern means to understand or know those things that are barely perceptible. See, the results in that and, and when, we, when we look at the obvious things, the results is seeing the big moments that we begin to look at them through the lens of fear. The big explosions happen and it scares us. It scares us. And we begin to look at it through the lens of fear. And that's where we begin to cry out as the church. Now I'm talking as the church because the world is looking at it who don't have, the faith, have faith. They're looking at it and going, oh crap, But we in the church have faith. We shouldn't be looking at this and going, oh, crap. I'm sorry if there's little kids in here, and uh, if they go home saying that word, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you know what that was? That was, that was, sucker. Mama's going to spank you, not me. (laughs) See, it's... It's in those Oh poo moments <laughs> that we as the church begin to cry out end times. Mark of the beast. Rapture. And it's, and it's fear that even though they're, they're big Bible words, It's fear that is driving those big Bible words and big Bible thoughts. See, our thinking is that these big moments, these big moments are the keys to Jesus' return. And I'm not saying that these big moments aren't keys. I'm just saying they're not the only keys and they're not the most important keys to Jesus' return because it's for us to understand the times and know what we ought to do to know those times, to discern. It's, it's ours to discern. If we get caught up in the big moments and the big obvious things that are driven by fear, we'll miss the will of God that he has for us in those moments. Even though we think we're talking the will of God. We're missing the will of God because we can't discern. We can't discern if we're being led by fear. Discernment does not work if we're led by fear because we're looking at the big big moments and not the barely perceptible ones. I heard this many years ago. Matter of fact, a, a preacher named Rod Parsley said this years ago. I used to have a, a, a cassette tape teaching on it. You all know what cassette tapes are. There's a little white thing. If you have a cassette player, I would like to buy it from you. because I'd like to hear that teaching again. Anyways, um, no, I had a, a teaching set on fear. And Rod Parsley said that fear is an acronym meaning false evidence appearing real. And if we're driven by fear, we're being driven by false evidence that appears to be real. So I want to I teach just a little bit. Is that okay with you guys? I don't, I don't want to go over your head, but as God was showing me these things, I'm going, uh, how am I going to talk about that? How am I, I going to say that? So I'm just going to give it to you the way that God showed me, and I hope that I don't, I hope I don't buckle your brain. Because I'm simple, but God shows me saying things sometimes, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> so So here's, here's what I'm going to say. These words, understanding and know. Every Hebrew word has a gender tied to it. I don't know how the Hebrews did all this stuff, and I don't understand it all, but what I do know is that every Hebrew word has a gender tied to it, male or female gender. There's only... One word that I know of that has both genders tied to it, and that is the word Jehovah, which is God. It's God, He, has, he, is, he is all-encompassing. Yes. So every Hebrew word has a gender tied to it. And when you look at the word understanding here in uh, 1 Chronicles 12, it has a female gender tied to it. Then the word know, know what they ought to do with those things has the male gender tied to it and that keyed me to some things because the phrase the sons of iscar had understanding of the times is married to to know what they ought to do understanding is married to knowing they are together as one in two different words so when understanding the female part is united with The male part, it produces something different because the word understanding, the female part of it, besides to discern, has another definition to it. You ready? Here's the other definition. To personify. To personify. So in other words, when understanding the times and knowing what they ought to do is married together, it produces a personification. Y'all okay? My little fly is very interested in this, and he needs to go somewhere. So in other words, it discerns or distinguishes or senses a person in that moment. When we understand and know the times, it discerns. When that discernment comes together, it produces a person in that moment. Now go with me. That person in that moment, which is discernment, will clue us to what we ought to do in the times. I like when I was looking up this word times, I study out of a spirit-filled life study Bible. I don't know if y'all have one of those or not, but Spirit, spirit-filled life study Bible says in Isaiah 33, which defines the same word in Isaiah 33 as the word times in 1 Chronicles 12. It says this, listen to me, it's, it's speaking of that same thing that I'm talking about, understanding and know being married together and producing a personification It says this in the Spirit Filled Life Bible. It speaks of the stabilizing force God will provide to believers, even in the midst of uncertain times of this present age. It speaks of the stabilizing force. The stabilizing force. Discerning is not about the moment, it's about the person. It's not about what's happening in the moment. It's about who is in the moment. Does that make sense? And that stabilizing force that we're talking about in the moment that God provides in the times when we know and understand, that stabilizing force is Jesus. Jesus is in the midst of that. You say, well, isn't the Holy Spirit in the middle? Yes, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. It's his personification, who he is. And he's in that moment. Now, I told you before, I'm a New Testament guy. I love the New Testament. I love me some New Testament because that's where I live. I live in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't have to go over there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, some of you will recognize that that section of scripture in the New Testament talks about when we are empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that we begin to have accessible to us the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is spoken of in verse 10. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. One of those gifts of the Spirit, from, this is from the Passion Translation, says this, the gift to discern what the Spirit is speaking So when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit as believers, when there's big moments that happen in our life, when there's riots, when there's viruses, when there's politics, when all of this stuff is just getting crazier and crazier by the day, we have the ability, empowered by the Spirit, to discern what the Spirit is saying in that moment. It is a gift of the Spirit. You say, well, don't certain people have that? No, anybody who's empowered by the Holy Spirit has access to that. So we need to launch ourselves into that. We need to lean ourselves into that. So, are we in the last days? Are we, are we, that's, that's a, that's a tough question because you just told me, pastor, not to look at things in big moments. And before, I would have said, yes. So are we in the last days? Yes. I think we're closer to the end of time than we were yesterday. (laughs) See, that's my simplicity coming out. But we're closer today than we were yesterday, not because the signs of the times, so to speak, but because Jesus said so. The personification of the moments that we're walking through this current generation, this current time that we're walking through, Jesus said so in his word. Discerning, remember, is not about the moment, it's about the person. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, let's, let's start landing this plane. I need to do it quickly. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 21. I'm going to go to the, the New Testament. I'd rather go to Jesus' words than my own. Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> it's just a, here in Luke chapter 21, it's just a few days before Jesus is going to the cross. He's in Jerusalem for the last week of his life, and he's not dwelling on the last week of his life knowing that it's coming but he's in the in the temple and he's teaching his disciples or teaching people anyone who wants to hear he's in the temple teaching to the people and what is he teaching about the end times he's teaching about some things and he says some things that that keys people to to wanting to push into the to the end times and he says something to them about worshiping, and he says that there's, there's going to come a day. He's standing in the midst of the temple, and he says, There's going to come a day when every stone that you see will be turned upon itself. Talking about the destruction of the temple. And when he said that, that just haired some people up. You know what I mean? You know what I mean by hering you up? You know, you get all fauché, get mad. It's like one preacher said the hot sauce began to run up the back of his legs and come up into his brain, getting upset. And Jesus says that, and it sparks a question. And this is where I want to start here in Luke chapter 21. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture here, and I'm going to teach, kind of teach going through it. Here in verse 7, it says, So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Did you hear what they said? What, what things? What signs? And he said to them, take heed or pay attention that you not be deceived. Now listen, if, if we're going to run through some big moments in these last days, he's saying, don't be deceived by the big moments. Don't be deceived. If he's telling us not to be deceived, it's easy to be deceived. Right. For many will come in my name saying, I am he... And the time and that the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. He said, There's gonna be people talking about these end days, don't chase after them. And he's talking about the person or the thought. He says, But when you hear this is listen to this. But when you hear of wars and commotions, now how many of you know we're listening, we're hearing wars? hearing about wars the word commotions mean disorder this is when you hear about wars and disorder hello <laughs> do not be terrified for these things must come to pass first but the end will not come immediately wars and commotions don't be terrified these things have to come but the end is not yet. Are you all catching this? Verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Do you know what the word nation is there? The word nation there is the word ethnos. It means, it's where we get our word ethnicity. Race will come against race. And kingdom against kingdom. Kingdom means a royal uh, way of doing things. What is our royal way of doing things here? Politics. Political parties coming against political parties. That's what they'd be kind of equal to. Let's move on. Verse 11. And there will be great earthquakes in various places. Mexico just had a 7.4 this last week and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. That's not happening in our country yet, but it's getting close. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Good word, Bailey. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give your mouth. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. I, would, I will give you the clarity of what to say in that moment, which all your adversaries will be able will not be able to con- contradict or resist it's going to be a great harvest at that point <clears throat> verse 16 you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death but you will be and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost thank you jesus that means i'm done Verse 19, by your patience, possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. That is a key word. When you see Jerusalem surrounded, Jerusalem being surrounded has not happened ever in our day. You say, well, Jerusalem was surrounded by armies in other times. Yes, they were. But those times, even though they're parallel to what he's saying, is not happened to the point that he's saying. He's talking about the end times. He's not talking about the times before. When Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, they fell from the inside, not the outside. Rome was on the inside. Rome led that place and defeated and conquered from the inside out not from the outside in. This is a different time. Right. See when Jesus is talking here these things are happening to Jerusalem. These things that he's talking about how how we can get grab a hold of these things and we can bring them into our present and we can bring them into our moments, but Jesus is not talking about New York City. Yeah. He's not talking about Los Angeles. He's not talking about Seattle. He's not talking about Dallas. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Middle East. And as American Christians, sometimes we like to Americanize the Bible. We like to Westernize the Bible. And that's something we need to caution against. That's something I want to caution you against because... We can take these big moments that are happening in America and say that the end times are coming, but what's happening there? What's happening in Israel? We don't hear about that. So you need to look into that because that's where our perception comes from. That's where discernment is. Are you hearing me? Jesus goes on here and he talks about the signs in heaven, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He talks about global distress and he talks about confusion taking over the globe. He talks about big storms and natural catastrophes. He even talks about individuals, people, their hearts stopping because of fear and anxiety. That's a good reason not to fear and be in anxiety to begin with, because it does affect your heart. But this is where Jesus lands this. This is where he ends up. Look at verse 29. This is something that I want you to see. As we move into these last days and know that this talk today is just a beginning of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. I just, I just want to lay a foundation of some things and I, I really hope that it resonates with you. But Jesus says here in verse 29, he says, then he, Jesus spoke to them a parable. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. And when they are already budding, You see and know, you see and know, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. The word summer means harvest. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Jesus here in this this moment is speaking about two different times, two different seasons. He's talking about a season of the fig tree and he's talking about a season of this generation that sees the fig tree. Now it's a parable. So he's making he's alluding a lot of symbolism to what he's alluding to. A fig tree in the Bible is always a symbol of the nation of Israel, especially a a early stage of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is made up of two trees, a fig tree and an olive tree. Olive tree is a mature tree, the mature nation of Israel, and a fig tree is the young nation of Israel. Are you with me? The fig tree is a symbol of the Israel as a nation. And then he talks about a generation that sees these things happen. A generation, that word generation means a biblical generation. So what is a biblical generation? You can ask that question. And there are many different terms to a biblical, different, uh, many different times, uh, chronos, amounts of times assigned to a biblical generation. It can be 30 years. It can be 40 years, it can be 70 years, it can be 100 years. Those are the simple ones. There's probably a whole lot more out there. But these are the ones I want to touch on. Because he says in this, this generation, who is this generation? It's the generation that sees a young fig tree of Israel begin to bud. The word budding is to germinate or to be birthed. Jesus is looking ahead in time and giving, this, giving us a key here to a generation that sees the birthing of Israel as a nation. Israel in his time has already been birthed, but it was destroyed in 70 AD, and it was never birthed again until 1948. The nation of Israel was budded in 1948, and he says, the generation that sees this happen will see the fulfillment of all things. So what generation is that? So if it's a 30-year generation that he's talking about, that would have been done, he would have fulfilled all things by 1977. That didn't happen. It's a 40-year generation, 1988. There was a book written in 1985 or 86 called the 88 reasons why Jesus would come back in 1988. And one of their keys was this 40 year generation. Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Didn't happen. If it did, he came back and didn't get me. (laughs) And it could have happened because I wasn't living for Jesus in 1988, but I know some of you were. Amen? Okay, was it 70 years? That would have been 2018. We missed something if it was 2018 when Jesus came back. I believe that a biblical generation in this point is a 100-year generation, which was the generation of faith, which was Abraham lived a 100 years and saw his generation come in the 100th year the next generation come in the 100th year. I believe with all my heart that is a biblical generation that is being spoken of here. Pastor, are you predicting when Jesus is coming back? No. I reserve the right to say no. That would put us out to 2048. 2048. The generation born from 1948 to 2048, Jesus said, would see those things come to pass. And we're starting to see the big moments start to happen. Are you with me? So when we look at what's going on around us, it's not important <clears throat> to allow our own personal knowledge of the Bible to be westernized and say, this is, this is about America. This is what I'm seeing in America I believe, I believe in the rapture. You say, "Well, what is you know, I, I haven't been in church very long. What is this rapture thing? Rapture's not mentioned in the Bible, but the concept of rapture is mentioned in the Bible. In First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17, it says that the church or the people of God will, that are alive will be caught up, caught up into the heavens with those who have passed on before us, who were people of God there will be a moment when Jesus comes back and lifts everybody up and takes them to heaven in the midst of the end times. I'm a believer in the rapture, but there are bigger things that happen than a pandemic, than riots, than vaccines, than politics that set up the rapture. There's bigger things that that set that up. Let's don't get taken with that. Let's don't, let's don't Try to go before our time. <laughs> oh, they're going to chip us. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> here's, here's my bottom line, and I don't mean to make light of these things, but I believe for us now that we are to be like the sons of Issachar we need to understand the times and we need to know what to do in these times. To discern is to find Jesus in our current culture. To discern means that we are to find Jesus in the midst of threats of vaccines. To find Jesus in the midst of threats of the riots coming to your land. Finding Jesus in the moment of viruses and sickness and disease. It's going to happen, y'all. So we can either be afraid of it and try to resist it, or we can step in the middle of it and say, I know one. I know one that gives me the understanding of the times and know what to do during these times. My knowing what to do may not be the same as your knowing what to do, but together we can know what to do together to lead a nation, a group of people in the direction that we should go. Say, well, pastor, that's that's, that's all great. That's all good. But I don't feel like I'm very discerning. How can I be more discerning? How can I do this? How can I jump in with both feet? Let me give you three ways to jump in with both feet and I'll shut up. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Three ways to train your discerning senses. Are you ready? Very simple. Number one, slow down. When I get going a little too fast, when I get moving a little too quick, when I start driving a little too fast, my (laughs) wife sits in the passenger seat and she says, slow your roll, Indian. Slow your roll, Indian. I'm Native American, so uh, she can say that to me. <clears throat> I don't get offended at all, because I are one. I can pack up my TP and move really quick sometimes. <laughs> roll up my buffalo briefs and let's go. Slow your roll. You got to slow down. See, the enemy loves more than anything. The enemy loves to play with smoke and mirrors. And if he can cause some big smoke and mirror moment happen in your life and get you distracted with smoke and mirrors, then he can get you to chase the little foxes. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. In other words, it's the little things that can derail you. And if we start chasing after those little foxes, we start moving too fast. We start chasing smoke and mirrors. We're going to miss Jesus in those moments and the big moments are going to happen. But Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 19, he says, by your patience, possess your souls. By your patience. He said, you're going to possess the way your mind runs. That's your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. The way your mind, your will, your emotions run, you can keep them in check when you'll just be patient and slow down. Slow your roll." slow down. Number two, study. Man, you got to be a student of the word. You got to know what this word says in order to know. Yes, we can have a knowledge of what the word says and we can have a knowledge of these big moments, but go to the little things that Jesus is talking about. Go to the little things in Revelation. Go to the little things in Ezekiel and Daniel about the end times. Go to the little things in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21. Go to the little things. That's where Jesus is talking. That's where we're going to know where we're at to study. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. The word diligent means to study. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If he's telling us to rightly divide this word of truth, that means this word of truth can be divided. It can either mean what you want it to mean or it can mean what God meant for it to mean. We got to find what God meant for it to mean. That's why you're empowered by the Holy Spirit because he'll tell you those things. We got to lean into the word of God and allow the mysteries of the times to be revealed so that we don't get ahead of the times. Big moments can run you so far ahead of the times that we're actually in that we miss what God is saying in the times. Are you with me? Slow down, study, and number 3, seek. Seek. Proverbs 16:16 16, 16 says this. How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. What is he saying there? He's saying, Wisdom and understanding are the true riches. Yes. Wisdom and understanding, that is discernment. Discernment is the true riches. That is true discernment. It's finding wisdom and understanding within the midst of the big moments. Amen. So did you get anything today? Yes. Next week, I want to push a little bit further into what it means to be a son of Issachar. Because that's, that's Issachar is a big, a big thing. I brought up that they understood and knew the times, but why did they know those things? Why would we be compared with the sons of Issachar? I want to push into that next week. I believe I found some stuff that's going to that's expand who you are in this time that we live in. Amen? Amen? So come back. Join us next week. I'm not done yet, but join us next week and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit further. I want to pray for you and then we'll get out of here and get you about your day. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for letting me and allowing me to get that out. Thank you for trusting me with your word. And I thank you, Father, for the goodness of who you are. God, you're so good, not just to me, but you're good to every one of us. You show us what to do. And I believe that in this building, in this this realm that we're in, this church that we're in, those who are watching online, you're in this moment. And I believe with all my heart that, God, that we are the sons of Issachar. I believe that we are to understand and to know the times that we're in and know what to do in these times. So, Father, I pray that you would remove all of the dust and all the debris and all the stuff that would try to cloud us and, and to keep us from hearing and seeing the mysteries that your word offers to us and that your word tells us. And, that, God, that we can begin to look through these moments and see Jesus in the midst of that. So, God, I thank you for that. And First and foremost, God, in order for us to see Jesus in the midst of anything, we have to see Jesus, the Jesus that died on the cross for us. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here listening to the sound of my voice in this room or by this camera or by these microphones that are picking up my voice, Father, if there's anyone that's never entered into a relationship with you, I pray that they would see Jesus right now, that they would begin to see Jesus on that cross, that beaten, bloody piece of meat that he was hanging on that cross, that the only thing that was visible as a man were his eyes. Those eyes that were lit by a fire of passion on the inside of him to go to that cross and die for us. And as those eyes begin to look into our eyes, He's saying this, he, he's, he's not looking down his nose at us and saying, you're a worthless sinner. You're, you're, you're a nobody, you're unwanted. He's looking into our eyes and saying, I want you. Would you come and follow me and want me the same way I want you? The only answer we can say is yes, because no doesn't even mean anything at that point. The only thing that means anything at all is yes. And if you've never said yes to those eyes, those eyes burning with a blazing passion on that cross, would you come and follow me? If your answer is yes, when you say yes to him, it changes not only your life, but it changes your address eternally. You have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have access to all of what heaven offers you in this time. You now have your eyes open to wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of Jesus' heart and the heart of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. Father, I pray right now that if there's anyone saying yes to you right now, I just pray, God, that you would uh, reveal yourself to them in such a way that it is an encounter, that it is an experience that one cannot even fathom in this life. Father, that you would encounter us all the same way you did when you first came into our lives. I thank you and I praise you for what you're going to do in our time. I thank you that you have called us to live in this time, like you called Esther, to live in a time such as this because we are people of faith and we understand the times and know what to do in the midst of them. We thank you. We praise you for all you do and all you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.